This episode of the Western Outdoor News Podcast is brought to you by the 16th Annual Trout Fest at Big Bear Lake. This two-day trout fishing derby will be held October 2nd and 3rd. There will be tens of thousands of dollars in cash and prizes at stake. Trophies and prizes for adult big fish winners, Big Five Kids Division, and the Big Bear community always rolls out the red carpet for the Western Outdoor News Anglers. For more information on this year's Big Bear Trout Fest, visit wonews.com. You know, all the fish over three that I've caught have actually come out of the water and dove down on the flying fish. Hey folks, and welcome back to the Western Outdoor News Podcast. With Trout Fest right around the corner, we sit down with Mike Stevenson from the Big Bear Municipal Water District. We go over the current conditions of the lake, stocking plans, and lawn tramp accommodations for Trout Fest anglers. Come tournament time, those rainbow trout are going to be extremely active. We, we had a good summer. The fish bit all summer long. We then call in to Floyd Sparks, whose impressive 394.5-pound bluefin tuna landed him on the cover of this week's paper. Sparks tells the story of how he caught this fish of a lifetime. And so he made amazing runs. I mean, I have a Talak of 50, it's loaded with 130, and I've got different colors at every thousand feet. And he was almost at the, the end of the third color on the first run. But first, let's talk Big Bear Trout Fest with Mike Stevenson from the Big Bear Municipal Water District. The weather's beautiful for uh, this time of year. We can't complain. We're in the mid-70s and the sun is shining and fishing's fabulous. Well, we got a, you know, Trout Fest coming up here in just a couple weeks. You know, the weather forecast looks great for it. A couple of things we wanted to talk about were um, the stockings and what you guys are doing kind of help drive this tournament. Yeah, we actually picked up a, a couple of really nice stockings. I had a, uh, a, a blue light special, as they say, on some larger fish, which I normally don't do. I talk to Billy about it every year and the big fish get folks excited, but they just don't fare as well sometimes as the little fish. However, I was able to pick up um, at a reasonable price a couple of really big loads of some really big fish. So it'll be an exciting tournament. Very cool. And where are you guys uh, pulling your stockings from? Yeah, this is actually coming from Calaveras. I do buy from Lassen quite often. Uh, these mm -hmm. two stockings are coming from Calaveras. Okay. And you're going to be doing some brood stocks, some larger stuff. And then obviously you're going to be putting in some of those smaller fish too. Like you said, they do fare a little better. Uh, what are water temps right now, if you know offhand? Yeah, 64.5 uh, this morning and dropping. We're having some really cool nights. It was down in the uh, high 30s last night. So the Come tournament time, those rainbow trout are going to be extremely active. We we had a good summer. The fish bit all summer long, which is kind of odd, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Usually July and August, they get pretty lethargic. Uh, this year was pretty good on some smaller fish that we were getting from DFW. And then, of course, some carryovers from the bigger stockings. But water 64 and dropping. Uh, the evenings are, like I said, in the high 30s, low 40s. And uh, the nights are longer, days are shorter, so the water's cooling. It's going to be it's going to be prime time come Oktoberfest, that's for sure. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> hopefully some big bags coming into the, the weigh-ins. You know, we have practice leading up to it. That's going to remain normal hours. And you guys had mentioned you're going to be extending the hours on tournament day, letting people get in a little early and maybe yeah. pull out a little later. Yeah, yeah. We usually, we're 7 to 3.30 this time of year. Um, we don't get a lot of action until the tournament hits. So we'll go uh, 6 to 5 on Friday and Saturday of the tournament. That'll give folks an opportunity to get on early and uh, if they want to practice on Friday and also uh, get on early and get prepared for tournament day. Now, is there um, any trends that you see in the bite there, you know, this time of year coming up, any kind of certain tactics that win this thing, anything like that you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, controlled depth fishing when the lake is stratified, meaning, you know, it's layered. There's a bottom mm -hmm. layer of cooler water and a, and a top layer of warmer water. Um, it's, it's the only ticket in, in summertime. So July and August, 
controlled depth fishing is the only way to go. Come October, or at least, and even this month, we're seeing that lake mixing. So the bottom and top temps are the same. There's dissolved oxygen from the bottom top. So I see a lot of folks uh, slow trolling. The guy, the bait boys from the shoreline, the weeds will be dropping. So those Carolina rigs with that two, you know, two to four foot leader uh, with different kinds of dough bait and power bait and inflated night crawlers are always good from, from the shoreline. And then the, the slow troll guys and the um, lead core folks and the occasional uh, downrigger uh, people really, really can zone in on that line of fish, whether it's 10 or 12 or 15 feet deep. How deep does the lake get? You know, it's about 54 towards the dam. And right now, um, back to the trends, all the fish you know, they're shoved up against the dam because that's where the coolest and most oxygenated water is. But they're slowly, this weekend, I uh, didn't plan to work, uh, but I, I was lucky enough to. And um, the fish were moving to the east pretty rapidly. So I'm seeing fish all the way to Gilner Point, which is about halfway across the lake. And a week ago, they're literally, the 10% furthest to the west of the lake was the only portion of the lake holding rainbow trout. And those things are now starting to spread out make their way. They'll be to the observatory by tournament time for sure. If yeah. not, equal point. Um, have you noticed that this uh, summer has been a little windier? Yeah, it has. I think yeah. we've all talked about that a little bit. And I, I watch and learn about solar flares and, and these different things and try to predict the wind. <laughs> no, predicting weather is, is, is a, not a good sport because you're always wrong. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we have had a really windy uh, summer, spring, and Typically, October, uh, as much as it's painful out there, or can be if the weather is rough, um, we get a lot of wind in October as well. So I hope everybody's prepared for that. Yeah, so that's something that everyone kind of needs to be prepared for is, is possible windy conditions. Definitely cooler as we work into October here. I think sometimes that wind's good too. It does, uh, doesn't it help uh, turn the water over and break up that stratification layer? Yeah, it does. It breaks yeah. up strat and it also, you know, churns up some VO. And I'll tell you, a really uh, a good method at that time of year, if you're not doing anything trolling or, or, or bait fishing, whether it might be um, a nice drip um, with some power bait or a night crawler and a small foot shot or, or even uh, a little mouse tail drifting with a little split shot, it's pretty darn effective. And you can cover a lot of ground and you can find out where the fish are holding if you don't have any electronics to help you with that. And that's always been a kind of a method that you see some of the guys that come in in the top top ranks don't talk about too much a good little drift does real well to locate fish cover some water figure out that depth you need to be in yeah that's right <clears throat> i know a lot of people are are worried about the launching situation you know water levels are low just about everywhere right now in california what's what's going on with the launch ramp situation right now up there our east ramp was closed uh, mainly because um you know we ran out of water it was you know we had about a foot and a half and we were launching some pwcs but then the forester was closure included that facility. So that wasn't an option for us. The East Boat Launch Ramp was closed. That's our biggest facility. But the West Boat Launch Ramp, which has um, uh, quite a bit of parking, we, we've create, been very creative with our parking. Uh, it's plenty deep water. It goes all the way down to minus 35. So we don't have any issue with not being able to get your boat to float off the trailer. And all the marinas have slips available and a lot of people are doing that. It makes good sense. You drop your boat in Thursday, Friday, or whenever you arrive, get yourself a slip for a couple of days. Then you can forget about the launch ramp, take the trailer with you, come back and just dewater and you're on your way. That's that's always a, a good way to control your own destiny. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that option, um, we have roadside parking. We have a uh, offsite parking spot at Captain John's Marina that you can swirl or just right around the corner and pick your passenger up 
after they parked the vehicle and trailer. And at the end of the day, we haven't turned anybody away yet. And that included this Labor Day, which is, I'm guessing, a lot busier than Trout Fest morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You, did you guys have a good Labor Day up there? Yeah, it was super busy. You know, That's... the weather's been, you know, it's un- unseasonably warm. Sometimes I've seen it snow in Oktoberfest. Um, yeah. Times. <laughs> I've seen it uh, snow on Memorial and Labor Day both several times. And shoot, it's uh, it's beautiful out there right now. So uh, these guys that are coming up to launch, if they're up there early and they can get a reservation for a slip, definitely do that. It's going to help a lot each yeah. morning of the tournament. And if you're not able to do that, get to the lamp, maybe get to the ramp a little earlier than you might expect to. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. know, we haven't had waits, you know, greater than 30 minutes or so. But at the end of the day, if you're if you're in a tournament, you got that excitement rolling and, you know, you you want you, you got your secret spot picked out that you want to beat somebody <laughs> to, you know, you that's going to be on you to, to get up a little earlier and maybe grab your coffee on the way in and, and get out on the water and wait for a tournament time to start. But we will be there to accommodate. We'll be able to expedite. You know, there is a decon procedure that's very, very important. If your boat's not clean, drained and dry and you want to really slow your day down, uh, just bring it wet and dirty and uh, you'll have <laughs> to go through our decons, decon program. And it's just not fun for us or you. So it's easy to Dry out your builds. If you have a little bit of water in there, drop your drive a couple times on the way up here. It's real simple. Everybody stops at least once if you're coming up from down the hill. Well, drop your drive. You know, drop yeah. it down. I use the restroom or grab a donut and then put it back up. And by the time you get here, you won't have any water come out of your drive. You won't have any water in your bilge. And at the end of the day, your launch will be very, very expeditious and you won't be stalled by a, a decontamination that's easily prevented with a little effort on the boater's part. Yeah. So for those that aren't uh, aware of that, it's, it's the quagga muscle that everyone's really worried about getting into these waterways. And um, like you said, you want your boat to be dry, clean, no weeds on the trailer, stuff like that. You know, you want to have a nice, clean, clean vessel when you get to the ramp because they are going to check. Yeah, for sure. We are. You know, if you haven't heard of quagga muscles by now and you own a boat <laughs> and frozen in time. Yeah. Uh, so it's a uh, but but a lot of people still, you know, think, well, the decon process, I'll just go ahead and get through that, get into that line. Now that oh, line yeah. gets it gets pretty tight sometimes, especially during tournaments or holiday weekends. We had a, you know, we had a backup for decon during Labor Day. Yeah, um, people were not prepared. They were bringing easy to dry out small fishing boats or even little uh, inboard outboards, and just you know, we're talking cups of water in the builds are a failure. And it's really simple for you to just reach down in there and dry that out real quick, leave the plug out long enough, and at the end of the day, you come clean, drained, and dry. And we just. Uh, let you let you roll right on through and get into the water yeah exactly well mike i'm looking forward to trout fest this year and i'm sure you are too and and uh, we'll see you when we get there excellent thank you very much i appreciate your time and uh good luck to all the fishermen it's gonna be a great tournament all right folks and here's floyd sparks with that pending california state record bluefin tuna well, the day came up, I had a friend who just moved here from Kauai, who was a commercial Hawaii fisherman, and he had a um, catamaran, it's a forced catamaran custom made that he did some commercial fishing with over in, in, in Kauai, and when the COVID hit, they were forced to move back here, and he had asked me many times to go out in his boat to show him the ropes on how to catch these bluefin, and so we got uh, one of my son's friends, uh, 18-year-old Cole Peters, and we took off uh, leaving um, Thursday afternoon, headed to the island, slept there, and then went out to the grounds. Um, got to the grounds, round sun up. Um, he really wanted to 
troll the spreader bar. I thought, well, from what I know, it's uh, kind of rough. And uh, you're not, you don't usually troll them then, but we put it out and in two minutes had a 240 pounder. And so he proved, he proved me wrong and we had a fish on the boat. <laughs> and uh, the spreader bar, was it a spreader bar that he fished back in Hawaii or was it? No, no. So, so I found these spreader bars at a place called Lobo Lures on the East Coast. And they're kind of unique. They're 36 inches long and they've got a bird on every row. So there's five or six birds in the front of it. It forces it to stay up, and it kicks up a lot of water. Um, yeah, and you guys are you guys are dropping that back, um, you know, two two three hundred yards, or you guys? Yeah, you know, I was I was hurt a thousand feet, and we didn't. We he, he, the funny thing is, he looked at me and he goes, "Does it look far enough to you?" And I said, it "Does to me, but I don't really know, you know." And and it got bit so fast that it didn't really matter. But yeah, we had it back quite a ways, and he had he has he has the center rigger because he has it all rigged up Hawaiian style. So that center rigger really helped to keep it back there and up. Yeah, kept especially in the rougher. I could imagine in the rougher seas, having that center rigger up high would really help. Yeah, I thought it was. I was impressed by it. It's like mm-hmm. it's not a green stick, but it's a center rigger. You know, and it's, yep, mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. So yeah, that's how the day started, and we were kind of like, well, we got the you know monkey off our back. We're in it. Uh, so so we we started looking around and dragged that thing for a little while and we decided that wasn't the way to go because there's other boats set up doing the stealth thing with the flyers so we pulled that in and, and started looking around i had a friend out there uh, tony Domonti on the black and blue and he had um just talked to me and hooked up and and so we kind of set up swell from him and he got a nice 200 pounder and we set up swell from him with the flying fish started moving it around a little bit slow trolling got another 175 ish one and um we looked at the tides. We noticed that we were getting bit, you know, an hour after, an hour before on the tides, the slack tides. And so we, were, we were working into a high tide for the afternoon, and we started moving south, southwest, back towards uh, the beach, and we decided to set up a drift. And as soon as we stopped, it's about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, we looked over, and this fish came out of the water. It's interesting. All the threes, all the fish over three that I've caught have actually come out of the water and dove down on the flying fish not just exploded on him like a lot of the other fish. And so when this one came out of the water, he could barely get his belly out of the water. And we, <laughs> we all went, that's a big fish. And I turned, it's almost, it uh, it's almost slow motion when they're that big too. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. And I just, I was like, Whoa. I mean, I looked at him, I held up four fingers and he kind of looked at me and I said, yeah. And so I reeled down, we came tight. And the interesting thing about this fish is he never sounded. He never went to the death circle. And so he made amazing runs. I mean, I have a talic of 50, and it's loaded with 130, and I've got colors, different colors at every 1,000 feet. And he was almost into the end of the third color on the first run. And um, luckily, I, I knew better to set the drag tighter. You know, I kept it at, at about two-thirds strike and, and let him do his thing. And he did that about four or five times. And finally – he's kept staying on the surface. We started backing down on him, which is something that we discussed that we don't ever do. We let these, these tuna pull the boat, you know, at 130 pound test, just that's part of the game. And it wears them out quicker and you get them in and uh, you're not walking them and resting them, you know? And so we, we finally backed down on him a little bit, got him stopped and then uh, slowly got him to the boat. And he stayed on the surface till he was about 20 feet from the boat. This is about a 50 minute fight. And his, his rails were so low that I actually couldn't fish the rail like I wanted to. So I've got, I've got bruises under my arms and under my legs and my stomach. 
uh, from just, just, you know, I do a technique I call Captain Morgan where I put my leg up on the bench and rest the rod on my knee. Oh yeah. Familiar with that one. I've done it a few times. <laughs> and then I do the, the side to side torso twist, you know, where you just turn sideways and pull on them. Because when they're away from the boat and straight out, it's a lot harder to pull on them than when they're straight up and down. So we got him up to near the boat, and we, we saw the indicator and pulled that off and, and uh, got him. He, he sounded, or he went in a death circle about 20 feet from the boat, made about five or six times around. And we got him up and, and stuck him in the head, and that was it. You know, it was, everything went right. Nothing failed. And, and we just, you know, luckily Rob's experienced on, on, on running the, at the helm. He was really concerned because the fish stayed down swell the whole time and he kept wanting to get it up swell. And I said, we might have to stick this thing down swell. You know, we like to be up swell or down swell from the fish. So we don't roll over the fish and the fish kept staying on the down swell, down swell side. And we, we ended up, you know, gaffing it on the down swell side anyway, but we had to do what we had to do because he was so big. But and, um, Yeah. That's interesting that that fish kind of stayed down swell. You guys weren't able to get down below it. Yeah. He that did does, the whole time. That does make it tough. <laughs> yeah, it was it was real tough, and he was real concerned about it. And I just said, you know, it is what it is. Let's just make it happen. So yeah, cool. You know, it, and you guys, yeah, and you guys I, made it happen. And that was on the uh, the frozen flyer, right? Yeah, I was on a dead frozen flyer. It was actually yeah. a stinky one. I mean, the, all the fish <laughs> I've caught this year that are over three have taken the uh, like one that I've used two or three times and frozen two or three times. Well, you just submitted this catch for a possible new state record. How do you go about doing that? Um, if you catch a big bluefin like this or any fish that you might think is a state record. What were the, what was the process? Well, there's a process online. You can look in the application, but basically what has to happen, you have to have it weighed in an IGFA um, scale or certified scale. And on the way in from San Clemente, we uh, called Bob Banyan with 976 bite. And cause we had reception at the Island at San Clemente and we said, Hey Bob, can you find a place for us to weigh this fish in? We think it's a you know, big fish. And with the formula we used, it was 435. And um, that formula obviously isn't accurate for bluefin. It's more for yellowfin. And so Bob called Bob Woodard, and he lined it up for a guy named Roger to meet us at the Marlin Club to weigh the fish in at around 10 o'clock. So we knew that was the first step. And then we got in there, found the weight. Someone said um, a bigger fish at 405 was the record. And so we kind of sat on it. And then um, I think it was Steve Carson, right, that called me from – or got on Facebook and said, hey, the record is 384. And then he sent me the application and a couple other people sent the application. So our challenge was to find a uh, marine biologist or a fish and game biologist or fish and wildlife biologist to come out and identify the fish because that's part of the requirement. And so basically, you know, we had the weight scale, the weight receipt. I mean, we had it weighed on the scale. We had it on um, a large swordfish kill bag just in ice i mean just packed with ice luckily my the guy with the boat has an ice maker and we just kept it packed and uh finally um sean hastings who was with noah as a friend of ours also we got a hold of him he called john i can't even remember his last name um he's with fish and wildlife he called um madeline who was his uh his scientist down here and she uh came right out to the house and we had the fish in the back of the truck we pulled it down for her and she measured it took photos of the measurements, identified its species. And then um, we filled in the application, got the witnesses and she, uh, she, she, she filed it electronically. Oh, cool. So, so it was filed right then and there. Yeah. I'm going to send it in also, but they said it was adequate. They called me today said it was adequate. Oh, cool. It was filed from her. So you have to have two witnesses. 
you need mm-hmm. to have a picture of, of, of the weight scale and, and we have a picture of the, the, the scale is with the numbers on it. Um, you, you need the weight receipt and then, um, the boat and certify that you, you caught the fish and, uh, and, you know, just, uh, fill up the blanks in there. And it's not a lot, but that's, that's how they do it. So at this point, I believe it's a pending record at 395.4. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a dandy. <laughs> That's a good one for sure. So um, you've been you've been fishing this big bluefin, you know, the past past few years pretty frequently. Yeah, and I, you've uh, gotten under your belt that are over three hundred. I've got three over three in this one. Oh wow, we've been we've been lucky, you know, doing well, and it's 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 been pretty fun. I you know I grew up fishing in Newport Beach. I grew up off the coast there. I worked for the professor Jim Donnelly on the on the Amon marlin fishing. In Newport and Cabo, and then went to college in Colorado. And when I came back, started fishing, got my own boat, and you know the albacore and all that stuff was good, and all the, the you know the yellowfin and bluefin was fun, and you know all that good. But when this stuff showed up, I said, "There's no way I'm going to not not fish this stuff." You know, just like Ali said, uh, and I think I saw the other day, it might leave tomorrow. You yeah, know? So we, we I want to take advantage of it. I really enjoy it. Um, it's, it's, I tell my friends that come out with me, they're fishermen, throw away everything you know about tuna fishing. Cause these bluefin are so unpredictable and so predictable, but you just never know what they're going to do. We're coming up on the time of year where it seems to be, you know, that, that best, most consistent bite. And, yeah. and we're seeing, you know, big fish being caught in the dark now. And that's kind of the new trend. The last, uh, last couple seasons is these fish eating at night and you guys fishing them with the jigs straight up and down. Obviously, the the frozen flyer and now the uh, artificial flyers are coming out, and and who knows that you know what's next. The spreader bars really kind of popped this year. I know they've been around for a while. This year, they seem to really hit the market on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, no, they did. I've always thought they'd be good. I, I personally choose not to use them much if I don't have to because I think it's too much hardware to deal with. And a lot of times, I have people on the boat that aren't aren't real good fishermen or experienced, and I don't want them to get hurt. So you know, I just kind of do it on certain I, I haven't done very much of it i just we did it this one time that was the first time I, I put mine out a couple times for a short period of time but this one was the first one we caught on it but a lot of guys are doing really well on it yeah and it's one of those things where in a crowded area it's hard to fish well that's the other thing is is people don't realize that when boats are sitting party boats or other boats and drifting they're in the stealth mode those tuna are around but they're not coming up and Guys will drag their boat full speed or troll speed right through the middle of it or around it. And all they're doing is suppressing the bite. Yeah, they're just chopping it up. And and, and they got to realize when everybody else is sitting, got to sit. Be stealthy. If you're off by yourself, you find breezers or you're not in your zone, then it's perfect. But, you know, be respectful of the bite that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that quite a bit. Um, You know, these guys were were putting it out when there were – it was smaller fish and they were up on the surface doing their thing. and guys were running and gunning and, and being pretty good about it. And then you'd have a guy with the spreader bar, you know, with so much line out, you wouldn't even know how far back his line was. And that was becoming an issue. And I, I watched a couple of guys in the binos go right over the top of them. Yeah. I've heard people have cut <laughs> spreader bars off, you know? Yeah. I've had, yeah. I've had people come up to my flyer or if I'm doing a double trouble with a mackerel or sardine and they'll literally fly line their baits right underneath it. <laughs> I guess it's smart, but it's not very polite. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, I, guess, I just laugh at the guys and go, okay, I hope you catch one. You know, That's a new one. I did see a guy um, just a couple weeks back or a few weeks back now, um, a skiff running on running at someone's spreader bar thinking it was tuna up on the surface. 
that was probably one of my favorites this season so far. I hope he hooks it with the popper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it gets crazy out there. <laughs> it is. It is. But, you know, everybody seems to be working. Uh, I've seen some crazy stuff as you have, but the Tanner Bank seems like everybody's working together. And, you know, the guys that are getting out there are a little more serious because it is quite a bit of a run. Mm hmm. You know, you got to kind of know what you're doing. You got to be comfortable out there. And, you know, you're 90 miles offshore at that point, just about. So, right, right. You're, uh, you're out there. <laughs> but it, it beats, you know, I, I used to fish. We had a boat at the Gordo at San Jose del Cabo, and we fished the tuna at the Gordo. And that was great because it was two and 300 pound fish and, you know, four to eight miles, eight to 12 miles off the beach. And then Prince Edward Island is another one of my favorite places. I love fit pull, pulling on those things. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and now, how does. How does that fish compare to our fish? What's what's the big difference there? I mean, I know that fish follows around the the guys catching the herring, right? Yeah, it's a little different because those fish are attracted to the boat, where our fish are more shy of the boat. Yeah, and you know, um, we we fish it there. If we're we got a herring that drip, you know hanging from the side of the boat, and sometimes you're only you know at the mouth of the harbor, you're not very far from from the coast, three miles or right at the buoy at the harbor. Um, it's not deep. But those fish come right to your boat. If you have a herring net under the boat, you can you can watch them. You'll see like here's a six hundred, here's a seven hundred, here's an eight hundred, here's a whale, here's a um, another whale, here's and then you time <laughs> it and you can drop your herring on top of them. You know? Yeah, and then and then they fight. You you, you got to chase them down to get out of the pack of boats, and then um, you know they fight pretty hard. You got to you know we use uh, acid wrap rods in the harness. We don't fight them in the rail. Yeah, and we average about twenty-two to twenty-eight minutes on a fish, and um, you know we have the right skippers out there that, that, that like to fish it that way, and uh, they're just they're, they're they're an aggressive fish, and we, then we fish them on the kite, and the kite's only fifteen twenty feet from the boat. Yeah, yeah. And, and watching a thousand pounder come up and hit your mackerel fifteen twenty feet from the boat is, uh, you, you have to see it to imagine it. It's crazy. Yeah, I couldn't imagine it. <laughs> But it's a wonderful place to be in the September and, Oct- and, and, and October for that bite. It's so clean and pristine. Yeah, do you got a trip planned out there coming up? No, because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, this is here. <laughs> like, yeah, why, why, why go do it when this is right here? That's what I was segmenting into. I was like, this stuff's here. Why would I want to go anywhere else? You know, this is, this is amazing. It's fun. So. Well, Floyd, I think that's going to about wrap it up for us today. Um, looking forward to hearing from you in the future and um you know we're crossing our fingers that everything went through for that state that new state record it sounds like it's gonna be uh gonna be happening i hope so they're supposed to keep the status keep me posted on i think it has to go to three different places to be reviewed and uh hopefully we'll know well thanks for being on the show and we'll talk to you later cool thank you have a great day all right folks and that's going to conclude episode 35 of the western outdoor news podcast For more information on trips, charters, and events Western Outdoor News is holding, visit wonews.com. Thanks.